Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Unlocking your sleep potential, brought to you by cleanmybed.com. So in the world, there is this very strange subspecies of humans called teenagers and adolescents who live a completely different life from the rest of us and probably have different challenges that they have to face. Uh, we've all been through it to some extent. We probably have uh, kids that are either going into it, in the middle of it. And this is what the subject of this podcast is going to be all about, sleep and adolescence and how it affects them both academically and uh, I guess with their moods and everything to do with their life, really. So a big welcome, as usual, to my co-host, Dr. Jill Warner, who's with us uh, for our third episode of this uh, sleep science issue. And uh, again, to Dr. Del Ray, who is the Director of Sleep Science here in Cape Town and also a Senior Lecturer at the Division of Physiological Sciences at the University of Cape Town. And uh, Del, I mean, you've got two teenagers, so you, this is pretty much in your wheelhouse perfectly. Are there special requirements or things to consider when it comes to adolescence and sleep? Sure. It's a bit of a hornet's nest and um, it's actually really exciting because in the next uh, couple of years, we're actually doing a lot of research on sleep and ad adolescence. So it's something that's super close to my heart. And of course, I have my own experiment going on at home with my very own personal adolescence. So it's interesting. But I guess the first place to start with is sort of how much sleep do adolescents need and, and why is it important? Um, I'm I'm always amazed at the fact that they actually need eight to 10 hours of sleep per night. Um maybe seven on the absolute lower limit and maybe up to 12 on the upper limit. And wow. I challenge um, parents of adolescents and adolescents themselves to think about like how often are you actually hitting that mark? Because from what I can see, the majority of the adolescents that we come into contact with are, are falling short. And there are a couple of reasons for that. So, I mean, adolescence is a time of great change. There's a lot of growth that's happening. There's a lot so of first of all, let's just, what, what is adolescence? So we know exactly what we're talking okay. about. Is it, what age group is it? Okay, so essentially we, we consider adolescence to be the teen years. Okay. So from about sort of 13 through to about sort of 19 or so, it, it is uh, some children actually enter adolescence a little earlier because I suppose from a female perspective, you'd look at the age at which they begin um, menarche. So it, it can change a little bit, but it's it's that shift when, you, when your hormones start to move from your um, childhood hormones into your sort of more teen-related hormones. Okay, yeah. So I guess the way to think about adolescence, primarily, if you want to put a quick blanket over it, it's just think about high school kids. <laughs> mm, okay. Right. So cool. you, you said that they need that sort of time. Is that similar sleep time in terms of kids younger than that? Because I've got a six-year-old, for instance, and she sleeps, you know, 11, 12 hours a night. That seems to continue right until that time. So they've so the idea is they want to keep almost sleeping as much as they did as when they were even younger. Yeah, absolutely. So that age range that you speak about, the, the duration requirement is something like nine to 11 hours. Um, so it shortens a little bit because the, I mean, there are slight changes in growth. But I think that um, what we find with adolescents is their lives become very full very quickly. There's a lot going on at school, extramurals, sport, um, social demands on their time. And so suddenly 24 hours doesn't seem like enough time to be getting in that eight to 10 hours of sleep that may have been slightly easier for those junior school uh, kids, kids to be able to achieve. 
So from that perspective, even though the duration from pre-adolescence to adolescence shortens by about an hour, it's still a good chunk of time, eight to 10 hours that is required for optimal physical and mental health. And probably what we should consider is also um, why the timing of um, adolescence uh, sleep changes and why it's difficult for them to, to achieve that. So it's all very well, you know, when your kids are young, you can say, right, seven o'clock bedtime, and then it becomes an eight o'clock bedtime. And then you try and get your adolescent that now needs to wake up at six for school. In South Africa, we have really early school start times. Um, and that's when they don't have sport or orchestra practice in the morning. Try and get them to go to bed at eight. It's practically impossible unless they're physically wiped out or they're sick. And there are a couple of reasons for that. And this is the big challenge. On one hand, when you enter adolescence, your body clock shifts. So your circadian rhythms delay a little bit and you become slightly more evening oriented. Um, and then you couple with that, that there's a change in our sensitivity to something called sleep pressure. I'll explain what that is now, but together those two things make, make sure that it's biologically impossible for that adolescent to fall asleep early. And there's some mm. dangers of parents trying to force them to sleep early, which will create uh, later insomnia type patterns, which I'll also come to. But let's quickly chat about the sleep pressure thing, because I think most adolescents identify with being more of a night owl. That's definitely a period of time where you where you shift. But sleep pressure is something else. So I think about it like this. If you've had a great uh, night of sleep and you wake up in the morning or a couple of nights and you wake up in the morning, you're full of pep. And if you think about it, your little hourglass, essentially, it's full of sand. And as the day goes by, the longer you're awake for, the sand trickles out. And the emptier that your hourglass becomes, so the longer you've been awake for, the greater the sensation of sleep pressure. It's actually linked to a buildup with um, a metabolic byproduct, adenosine, in the brain. So as adenosine builds up, we feel the sleep pressure more, and it gets to a tipping point at nighttime where your body says, that's it, I don't care what the time is, you need to sleep right now. Your hourglass is empty, adenosine's at a maximum, kindly go to sleep. And for whatever reason, with adolescents, this it's either the um, sensitivity to the sensation of sleep pressure seems to be either delayed or we don't, they don't get that same signal. So whereas we've been asleep for, I mean, been awake for maybe sort of 14 hours, um, 16 hours, and we started starting to yawn and, and feel that we're ready for bed, they don't get that signal. Mm -hmm. So you couple that with a shift in their circadian rhythm and 10 o'clock very often, they'll still be um, wide awake and not even close ready to sleep. And so the mistake as a parent that we can make or that adolescents can make for themselves, because we shouldn't assume that much level of control anymore, is that by forcing them to go to sleep early, they're going to be lying there, uh, unable to sleep. And then, as, as you know, that can over time become a very stressful situation because you think, oh, my gosh, there's something wrong with me. Why am I not sleeping? Um, and, but I can't put my light on because my parents might get angry with me and say that I'm, I'm supposed to be asleep. Mm. And then you create this anxiety around falling asleep, which can over time then create problems where a person then begins to believe that they actually have um, a, an insomnia type condition. And I actually see many adults who we can trace back the start of their sleep issues with being in adolescence where they were trying to sleep too early and then they created this this belief that they are not good at falling asleep. And in fact, all that happened was they were just trying to sleep too early. 
I guess nowadays there's there's extra distractions of cell phones and <laughs> social media and that sort of thing, which adds to this problem, doesn't it? I mean, yeah. they're telling to their friends at ten o'clock at night. It's normal. Absolutely. So I mean, mm. this is a this is a can of worms, and it's a difficult area for us to navigate because for many of us, sort of uh, older parents, you know, we didn't grow up with the same level of technology. We didn't have the distractions of mm. of tech and. Um, for sure, um, I mean, I don't know about anyone else, but my teens are glued to their devices mm. because it's their lifeline. It's their mm. way of communicating and getting information. And I mean, I've tried to withdraw that and you just see that you do sort of a social isolation experiment. I mean, it's a terrible thing. So <laughs> there, there are a couple of issues with the screens from the adolescent's perspective. One relates to the actual light coming off the devices. So your circadian system is incredibly sensitive to um, bright light and to short wavelength or blue light. And our devices are very good at emitting that kind of light. And because they're handheld, so we're specifically more concerned about phones and tablets than televisions, for example, because they're closer to our eyes. And it's the proximity of the light source to your eye that's important. And what that bright light does is it actually de delays your body's um, production of the hormone called melatonin. So what's supposed to happen at nighttime, the sun goes down and some hours after that, your body should start to produce melatonin. And if you're exposed to a lot of artificial light at night and the device uh, devices emit enough light to actually suppress this melatonin, then you don't get that signal that it's time to sleep and you inadvertently delay your bedtime. So from that perspective, um, sort of lying in bed on their phones, they may be relaxing, but they're actually also delaying their body's melatonin production. Mm. And then of course, there's the social side of that as well. You might get messages that are terribly exciting. They might make you feel very sad um, or very isolated. And then you try and sleep with that kind of uh, sort of emotions um, sort of swimming around in your head. And especially once the sun goes down, problems are much worse than they are when the sun goes up, <laughs> when the sun is up. So um, we can create all sorts of other, other problems as well. In fact, they've even done studies where they've seen that some adolescents wake up multiple times in the night to message on their phones to send or receive messages. So, I mean, a, a clear message here is that it's great to have the convenience and the um, the social aspect of devices, but they absolutely cannot be in the room at nighttime. And um, if your child says, oh, but I need it because it's your adolescent says, I need it because it's my alarm clock, find another way to set other alarm clocks or set stronger boundaries because using uh, phones during the night is just, it's a horrendous mm. way to destroy sleep. Can I uh, just ask you, Dale, because um, I mean, I remember myself when you're at that stage of, of adolescence, you also at that time very academically stressed because you're taking a lot of exams during that time period. And I personally remember sitting there with at that point would have been books um, revising at midnight when you had an important exam the next day. Um, I assume that now um, the adolescents are still doing that, um, not getting the message that they need to go to sleep, but also doing it with a screen instead, which is probably making it even worse. Yeah, absolutely. And so there are a couple of ways that we can handle uh, that because, I mean, we, we, we have to, eyes wide open, take as part of our lives and we need to live with it. Uh, so we can put filters onto our screens and we can filter the blue light and we can do it on all of our devices. And there's good evidence now to show that if you have these blue light filters activated between sunset and sunrise the next morning, you can significantly reduce the effect that that light is going to have on your melatonin. So bearing in mind that we have to be practical, 
might need to be studying on a computer or some similar device, let's look at using blue light filters. They're effective. Um, and then the other thing, of course, is just having enough, uh, what I call, you, you need time to disconnect at the end of the day. Um, and so if you're going to be studying like a crazy person up until sort of 30 seconds before bedtime, close down your laptop and hop into bed and hope for a good night's sleep. Good luck with that because you're going to have a very mm. busy racing mind for a while. So you need time to decompress and chill. And it sounds awesome. Who doesn't want license to decompress and chill? But for adolescents to actually build that into their day is a really healthy sleep strategy, sort of disconnect from from everything that they're doing and just have some some time to just to be a human and to think. It's tricky when we're cramming for exams and that's a different talk altogether <laughs> because um, you know, that can have an impact, of course, on your, on your sleep. So can you, I mean, you talked about the fact that they have this delayed sort of circadian rhythm, but the reality is they still have to get up at six o'clock in the morning. Mm-hmm. Uh, are you then accept that there are times when they're just not going not gonna to get enough sleep? Sure. So actually, when we speak about um, nap licenses, adolescents um, or adolescents is another group that get a nap license because of the fact that it's through no fault of their own that very often that bedtime is an early bedtime is unachievable and an early wake up time is part and inevitable. Part. Yeah, inevitable. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And so um, the, the only outcome is that they're going to have a reduced sleep opportunity. So suddenly there's only seven hours at which they can actually get some decent sleep at nighttime and they're falling at least an hour, if not two or three hours short of their target. And so in those cases, we would absolutely be um, proponents of napping for adolescents in the afternoon just to help revive them and make sure that they're not too chronically sleep deprived. Mm. So, I mean, we know that for those many people listening to this will have these teenagers and they'll wonder why on a Saturday morning they'll sleep until lunchtime, which seems impossible for us as you get older. I mean, I, I imagine, is that a catching up scenario or is that just a case of, well, they have an opportunity to sleep, that's what they need, therefore let them sleep? Because I know as mm-hmm. parents, you get frustrated by that. We're like, we should get up. We don't have to wait, sleep until lunchtime. But actually, it sounds like that might be a good thing. Yeah. So they're doing uh, catch up sleep of mm-hmm. the highest order. Um, it is ne- it is absolutely necessary. The I say this with caution though because we generally don't love catch up sleep, um, mm. and the reason being is that when you keep changing from short to long to short to long, um, there's really clear evidence now that, for example, five days of short sleep can have huge um, consequences on your metabolism. Um, it it cre- creates absolute havoc basically. And so people say to me, "But does it matter if I'm doing my five or six hours in the week because I'm paying it all back on the weekend? Don't worry about it." So I guess you may be hitting your weekly target, but the way that you're getting there is pretty ugly and the metabolic consequences down the line are going to be felt. So that person will over the time creep into um, unexplained weight gain. And then ultimately as an adult, you've got to watch now for insulin resistance and then the, the development of hypertension as well. So having this catch up sleep strategy, it's a short term solution for adolescents as they're going through that period but as soon as they can try to stabilize that sleep pattern into something that is just more consistent um, is absolutely super important so they almost need to become adults <laughs> they want to become adults as much as possible so that sleep time is necessary but as you say you don't want to encourage it when you say they need to get into a, a more stable sleep pattern are you talking about the fact that after adolescence they need to start moving into that area mm-hmm. or while they're adolescents, mm-hmm. they need to not wake up at 11 o'clock in the morning, have a more r- r- way that you talked about having 
set times that you go to bed at night and set times that you mm-hmm. wake up. You mm-hmm. want to get closer to that even during adolescence. I think you want to start that pattern even during adolescence. Okay. So, I mean, obviously, every now and then you're going to, I think about it, are you not going to eat the chocolate? Or are you going to have the chocolate? You can't have the chocolate every day, mm-hmm. but every now and then you can have the chocolate, right? So you can extend your sleep every now and then when you absolutely really need to. But for the most part, you want to try and improve that consistency earlier on. Sometimes we find that with some adolescents that have extremely delayed clocks, then um, helping to shift their clock a little bit more towards an, an acceptable moderate evening type or even an either type can be um, done very effectively with um, the correct use of something like melatonin supplementation and also light exposure. Um, So using lights um, very strategically can help to um, better synchronize that uh, adolescent's body clock to the light-dark cycle. Um, and so hiding away in the in the darkness of their room in the daytime and especially in the early morning is a terrible strategy mm. um, because their body is still then producing melatonin. So you want to have as much as they hate it, little moles, but you want those curtains open, bright lights, squash down that melatonin and in the evenings minimize um, uh, ambient light to try to help encourage their bodies to produce that melatonin a little bit earlier. Uh, when, when you talk about melatonin, so I'm digressing slightly here, but when you're asleep in the morning and the light and the sun comes up and your eyes are still closed, is your body sensing light even though it can't see it? Yeah, you, you definitely do get a little bit of that. Um, I mean, I know some people feel that, they've, that they're more sensitive. I know my mom describes her eyelids as being paper thin. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but even with your eyes closed, you are still getting a sense of that light that's coming through and that signals going to your brain to a specific gland to shut off the melatonin production. Mm. So, so when you talk about the teenagers, I love the the idea of the moles. That's a brilliant <laughs> example. But opening those curtains actually will reduce that melatonin. Then it should wake them up a little bit. Yeah, easier. absolutely. Yeah, I, I have a, a troll rather than a mole. But Dale, <laughs> <laughs> um, um, one thing that interests me is, and, and I'm sure you, you must experience this. Obviously, when you do try to get an adolescent out of bed at six o'clock in the morning, they can be rather um, moody and difficult. Is that just because because they're tired or is there actually a physiological effect of not having slept well having a difference on uh, effect on mood so it's probably a little bit of both um absolutely i mean nobody no matter adolescent old person young person bring us out of bed too early and that transition into wakefulness it, it's ugly and we're not always the best versions of ourselves Um, So there's something called sleep inertia, and this is what you need to overcome in the morning so that you can feel peppy and and ready to go. And with adolescents, that sleep inertia just takes a little longer. So it may be that instead of taking 15 or 20 minutes, it could take 30 to 60 minutes. And so you just want to be gentle around that time. Don't ask any hard questions. Don't push any (laughs) buttons. Just let them transition slowly. Don't expect great conversation or anything like that. Um, So I think just to be understanding of that. But the other part to that relates to chronic sleep deprivation. And so there are two things happening during adolescence, um, sort of the frontal lobe um, is is um, maturing at a great rate, but it's nowhere nearer at the um, level that it would be for, um, for an adult. And a lot of our emotional regulation is is controlled by this, by this frontal cortex. And so on two levels, adolescents have this um, development which is happening so they don't have the same level of emotional regulation and therefore appear moody for example 
Um, but on top of that, when a person is sleep deprived, the area of the brain that is often effective is also that frontal cortex. And so then also, also your emotional regulation goes out of the window. So they've got literally a double whammy there, which in part explains why you have a sleep deprived teen, you're going to have the double trouble when it comes to that moodiness. Yeah, that's hectic. I always think with with teenagers and to some extent as adults, we kind of look at them, there's, there's some elements of frustration sometimes with them. But there's no doubt that the stress that they feel in many different aspects, not just academic, but also social stress and the stress of what are they going to do in life, all that sort of things. How much does stress, first of all, affect the quality of their sleep? And in other words, and then if they're not getting enough sleep, how does that in turn create more stress? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. And it's so real. So a lot of our sleep, when we sleep, we um, spoke earlier, um, or we've spoken previously about slow wave or deep sleep. But the one thing we haven't considered yet is REM or rapid eye movement sleep. So that's a phase of sleep where your brain is incredibly active. It looks like a wake brain. Your eyes are darting around, but your skeletal muscles are immobilized so that you can't move and act out what's happening um, in your head because we think we do a lot of our um, dreaming in REM sleep. But REM sleep is actually critical for emotional recovery. It's important. It's really important for your psychology, for managing your stress, your mood, etc. And um, if we don't get sufficient REM sleep, we we don't have that same level of emotional regulation um, or control, or our stress can sort of ramp up to out of control levels. And so um, for adolescents who have this sort of weird time where, they've, as you've mentioned, they've got a whole lot of stresses going on and they're very real. Mm. Um, you need sleep and you need specifically REM sleep to be able to um, process and contextualize all that's going on so that it's you can... It's almost like the filing system, isn't it, REM sleep, where you're putting everything in a file. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah, exactly. So being able to contextualize things so that you can make sense of why you feel a certain way. Why did this person trigger me? Why, you know, what, what happened in this situation? Mm. Why did it go wrong? There's a lot of introspection, which looks incredibly self-absorbed in adolescence, but it's actually very important for their growth and development and maturity that is still to come. And so um, when an adolescent has high levels of stress and they don't get sufficient sleep, then they're not dealing with this as they should be. And um, that obviously is, is problematic, but then on it's a, it's a vicious cycle because the more stressed you are, the more it impacts your sleep. So your sleep becomes lighter and more disturbed, more fragmented, and that's a really poor quality of sleep. And once that happens, then up goes your levels of, um, of worry and anxiety, and you, you're sort of stuck in a bit of a rut. So in fact, um, we often see the emergence of um, depression or anxiety during adolescence at a time where your circadian system is stressed, your sleep homeostatus stressed um, to, to the max. And so we actually um, are, are seriously considering that this is a time that we actually have to support sleep in adolescence um, as much as possible so that we minimize the chance that they then develop um, at, um, stress or anxiety or depression conditions, which will then um, potentially um, carry on into adulthood. Wow. So, and there's a lot of responsibility on sleep, isn't it? <laughs> Absolutely. I think we, we almost underestimate it with teenagers. In fact, we're often critical of teenagers because of it. Yeah, um, yeah. I, I hope your kids understand what a good mom you are. Because <laughs> <laughs> Just talk about the cognitive changes that happen if you don't get enough sleep. I'm, mm. I'm hoping that we're talking here to adults, but hopefully there are some teenagers and adolescents listening to this who think, well, I can, I can get away with my six hours or five hours. What actually happens if you don't get enough sleep in terms of your cognitive ability and your ability to learn. 
Mm. So loads of research has been done, especially by psychologists, actually, who've been looking into the connections between sleep and cognition for many, many years. It's a well-established area, and it's very clear that with um, acute sleep deprivation, uh, we impact our cognition. So what does that mean? That means it's we impact our ability to think, and it can relate to flexibility, to learning, to um, the ability to be creative, to be productive, to be able to multitask, for example. These are all examples of um, of cognition. And we value these things because, mm. we, um, unfortunately, as adolescents, you're judged on all of this because you're at school and you're trying to perform academically. So um, acute sleep deprivation impairs many of these processes. Whereas if you've had good solid sleep, you really are doing yourself huge favors in terms of making sure that your ability to think and perform academically is, is at, the, at the highest possible level. So a really important component of cognition that means a lot, I think, to adolescents is memory, because this is a period of life where you're doing a huge amount of learning and you're having to um, show that you have the ability to, to uh, give back this um, what you've learned in terms of um, managing tests and assignments, etc. And so when we sleep, we um, embed memory. It's one of the functions of sleep, um, which is absolutely critical. And so without sufficient sleep, we don't embed that memory particularly successfully. Mm-hmm. And so, I, I mean, I think about your filing system example there, a lot happens in the day, we've got information lying all over the place, and it gets ordered and organized um, in such a way that we're able to retrieve it when we need to. So for adolescents, um, this is obviously a hugely important component. There's a lot of talk. So essentially what you're saying is whatever they're, for instance, if they're cramming for exams, Mm -hmm. they're not getting enough sleep. That cramming is almost like slightly wasted because they're not retaining and filing away the stuff they're learning. So it's counterproductive in a way. Yeah, They may have a short-term ability to access that memory, i.e. for the exam, but you quiz, quiz those kids on that content six months later and it's gone. Um, So it's absolutely, it's completely hopeless. So there's two things to consider. Um, There's, do I do an all-nighter to shove as much information in so that I can write the exam? And you need to have a a, a good hard think about that because perhaps you're going to be able to um, get yourself through that exam, but you're doing yourself no favors in terms of like long-term retention. And the other thing is that if you're going to go into an exam sleep deprived, um, you will almost certainly not perform as you should do. And so we'd r- much rather see that rather close the books and leave out a section um, and get those extra few hours of sleep and do really well in the sections that you did actually sort of study for. So that's really important. Yeah. yeah. Dale, can I just ask you, because um, it's something I've heard and I'm not sure whether it's true or not, but when we're talking about um filing what we've learned during the day, memorizing, um, storing and recovering. Is it true that if the thoughts that you've had prior to going to sleep are um, negative ones, um, depressing ones, that those are the sort of um, effects that you find are being processed during the REM sleep? Yeah, almost certainly they are. Um, I think you'll find that whatever you take to sleep with you is sort of what's important to you at that point in time. And so if there are dark or negative or worrying thoughts, then that is certainly something that your body will be processing throughout the nighttime. And then that often does go um, into your into your REM type sleep. 
And for some people, um, it can then just mean that they might have quite disturbing dreams or unpleasant dreams. And it's not to say that it's a good or a bad thing. It is actually just your body processing. In fact, I would say that if you're having a lot of disturbing, unpleasant dreams, it may well be a signal to yourself that all is not well. And perhaps there are things that you actually need to pay attention to during the daytime that, um, that maybe are a little bit hard to deal with. Which I think is terribly topical at the moment mm. when we consider um, how many adolescents are thought to be depressed in inverted mm. commas mm. and whether some of the aspects we've been talking about here, the stresses on them, are, are causing um, the problems not only due to the stress but because of their sleep not being appropriate. Mm. And it almost feels worse now being a teenager than it was 10, 15 years ago when there wasn't all these distractions. I mean, just to, as a sort of final question for me, when you talk about dreams, I'm again digressing, but I always thought that dreams mean nothing. They're just kind of random stuff happening in your brain. So you're saying that a disturbing or a, a bad dream or a nightmare actually has some relevance in terms of what you're dealing with. In other words, can you prevent nightmares versus happy dreams? Yeah. So I'm just going to put a quick disclaimer here. I'm a <laughs> physiologist, not a psychologist. And so psychologists <laughs> would hate me for discussing dreams, probably. Um, and I'm definitely, by no stretch of the imagination, an expert on dreams. But what mm. I do understand quite clearly is that when we dream, we are processing and we are processing information and it can be emotional and sort of um, information um, and, and, and feelings and things that have happened and, and whatever. And very often, so if we've had a monster argument with somebody, for example, during the daytime and perhaps we didn't ever talk to anybody about it because it was really, really upsetting, then sometimes you do find that that will then infiltrate into your dreams because it's in your body's way or your brain's way of dealing with that and trying to unpack everything that happened. So it's not to say that um, that <laughs> you should be concerned necessarily about the content or that you should take the content to mean absolutely X, Y, or Z, but definitely it can be an indication of things that are um, at play on your mind. That are, It's unfinished business. That's kind of the way I think about it. Yeah. Fascinating. Dr. Dara, thank you very much for your time. I know that I'm going to be treating, uh, well, I've got a couple of teenagers that have passed teenage years, but I have another one coming into it. So I think it's, 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 I think the message to me that making it very clear is that we need to be a little bit kinder to our adolescents because sleep is an as important part of their lives and actually is more important to them than we believe, I think, inherently. So thank you very much. And Dr. Jill Warner, thank you much for your time again. Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware.